0: Hello, food enthusiasts, and welcome to this episode of the Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Line Miller, your host for today. And I will say that our guest today really ticks all the boxes of the thought leaders in the food space that we look to interview. She is an innovator and she has been for a long time. She loves technology and was into technology before people were even paying attention to the fact that, that was happening, as well as very interested and involved in sustainability from her first company that she owned. So we want to welcome welcome, Lonica Kuffner. She is the chief growth officer for a GTFO It's Vegan company. She's going to tell us all about that and more.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Lonica. It's really great to meet you. And I've been watching this podcast for a while. It's really fun to hear about all the innovators in this space.
0: Well, and we're glad (laughs) to have you with us as an innovator as well. You're with GTFO It's Vegan right
1: now, and that's a fairly new thing for you. What are you doing? Yes. yes. Yeah. I'm super excited to join us the chief growth officer. So GTFO, it's vegan, has a really fun and creative name. And there's a good story behind that as well. We are the largest online vegan retailer and wholesaler. So we deal with pretty much every vegan brand, all of your favorites and all of your new favorites that you haven't heard of yet. So it's super exciting in my job. I get to meet a lot of great companies, talk with founders um, and get them on the site, work to really grow the business. But we also have our own private label brand of vegan foods. So it's called Great Foods. It's vegan. Manner of items from sashimi to burrito all kinds of things. So we really kind of cover all the bases. And I I jumped into this role a few weeks ago, being a lot of great people. Uh, Yes, I've been in food for a long time. So over the last year, I helped build a company called Omni Foods in the United States. And that was also so much fun. Great team. We're really able to accomplish so much in a year. It's incredible. But going back even before that, I've been in food consulting for quite some time. So during the pandemic, I was doing a little bit of mergers and acquisitions consulting, and also private consulting for small companies. My, some of my favorites have been, you know, meeting someone at a farmer's market in some town and realizing they have this incredible product and getting excited about it, helping them take it from there all the way to the grocery store.
0: Truly a grassroots effort, right? Lonica, you just, you have your gifts and, and your passions, and then you put those to work. I know with Omni Foods, you were hired on specifically to do exactly what you did. Kind of glossed over that, but you did quite a lot there as far as growing the brand and also getting the retail, some pretty big names there too.
1: Yeah, so Omni Foods is a huge company internationally in many, many countries, but I was one of the first employees in the United States. So of course we were building a team and getting placed in retail was what? Sprouts, Whole Foods, and a lot of other incredible independents, especially in New York City, which if anyone lives there, they know that the retail atmosphere is a jungle and it's a a challenge there. So we had to hire some really great people. So the company is doing well and I think you're gonna be seeing it in a lot more stores that I can't quite mention. Yet. It's always
0: that way, isn't it? There's always a deal in the works. Signatures haven't actually dried on the paper at this preview to keep a lookout for them. Well, let's let's back up because I talked about you being interested in sustainability from way back, and you started out actually. Your first company was not in the food space; you were in retail.
1: Right. Yeah. And actually, I come from a family of entrepreneur from the Midwest, and that's where I've lived most of my life. Actually, in Iowa, um, which is famous for a lot of reasons, um, we get celebrity visitors quite a bit, but it's a tiny little town very multicultural with the university. Uh, my parents moved here early after they had started the first health food store in Iowa. And it was back in the 70s. They were hippies. And it, when we moved to this town, nobody knew what an avocado was. So actually, my parents had to bring an avocado from like three hours away to the grocery store and say, here's an avocado. Can you carry these? So it was a great story. And, and their health food store stayed in business in Des Moines for a long time um, after we left. But yeah, I, have, I come from an entrepreneurial family. So when I was about 21, I decided to start a business. I turned to retail, but I wanted to do something that made a difference. And I had heard about organic cotton in its infancy. There was one company in the United States doing it. How many people would remember that? But they did vertical integration and they actually were spinning the yarns, they were knitting the fabrics all in the United States, and they were all organic. So that was really unusual. I built a store around that, I think about 500 brands. Um, And I had the store for many years. So organic clothing, bedding, gifts, and a little bit of food. And that's when I started to realize how much of a foodie I was. So I, I was helping product develop things everything from organic sheets to organic underwear and i was doing it for these companies in order to supply us but they would also sell it to other and catalog companies so this was before the internet research before the internet was a different animal just it took me nine months to research products for my store and I always told everyone after the internet was invented, it would have taken me two weeks. So that like incredible influx of knowledge and opportunity that anyway, the internet has just been quite a boon. So I started websites along those lines for my products and I helped other people start websites for their product. Those were some of the things I did at that time. Did it for about 20 years actually. And I just decided that moment I wanted to go into foods and I started with a company called Food Chain ID. And at that time they were really growing quite a bit. And I was signing on to be the key account manager doing non on GMO project verification it was just incredible to really learn deep into the ingredients of what every company uses and help them formulate in a better way. So that was, that was something I did for several years. I built a key account program there, Really deepened my knowledge in the food space. And I think that was part of my love of technology. You talked about because I got to see how software functions in respect to building products, in respect to organizing information, technology with as well. And
0: backing up, just that's really become the foundation of of what happens today. There's a lot of different certifications. Finding what goes into our food is more important to us now than it ever was. I mean, back, that was a newer idea, right? I mean, that was kind of the beginning of.
1: Yeah. So the non the project is actually in Bellingham, Washington that developed this and their little butterfly seal. You might see it on almond milk you're buying or whatever crackers. It's on thousands and thousands of products. I don't even know how many, uh, but it's a rigorous process and it does allow for uh, companies to get basically they're going to do better on the store shelves because consumers are looking for more choices. And rather than saying, oh, this product is better because it's non-GMO, the approach that most people take is consumers deserve choice. There's a lot of opinions in both ways, um, in the food industry in particular. Absolutely, consumers always need to know what they're buying, and that's what it's about, was organic certification. of something I worked on, and that's something I still work in that space, Because I was, I came from the organic industry with cotton and with a little bit of food patient, I moved into organic certification is already non GMO by definition, sometimes I say organics like a gold standard, but there are some products that can not achieve that because of supply chain issues or whatever. And so non GMO is an incredibly high standard that they will look for and in many cases both of the seals because yeah, customers are looking for them. They're very much in demand. And now you see things like regenerative agriculture. There are a lot of other choices, gluten-free, kosher, et cetera. And all of these serve as what are called trust badges, whether they can trust that they know it was grown organically and they want to support that, or whether they know that it's gluten-free, so that's not going to hurt them if they're sensitive. I I like providing, I guess, the best choices for customers. Yeah. And
0: that's the thing. I think that We as consumers do want choices. And like you said, we are looking more and more than we ever have before. I like to say, I mean, some of us like partner with brands. We become a little bit of a raving fan of a more and more um, we have allergies that are going on. People need to know certain ingredients are not in their foods, like you were saying. And and so that you know food is not going to hurt you or bother your system. And more and more of that is going on. I think that's really important. We can find out a lot of that information too, as you were
1: saying, now that we have technology. that online merch piece, is yeah. I mean, they're no different. Yeah, blockchain is a great tool for that. And I've worked so many different companies. I know um, Zigo Foods in San Francisco is one of the first to use blockchain technology on their packaging. So you could actually scan it, and you can and see where your bar, where the fruit is coming from, or where the oatmeal is coming from. And I think a lot of companies are adopting that. I Also, you know, one of the biggest seals that I'm excited about right now is upcycled. If you don't know what that is. It's worth Googling. It's relatively new and upcycled food. I, I believe that's what it's called. Upcycled food certification has come out because every, everyone knows when you cook something or when you bake something or prepare, there's always waste. So if you make an apple pie and you peel your apples, those apple peels, maybe they're in your compost. If you're doing that, maybe they're not. Um, but food waste is in, insanely important. It's contributing to the environment in ways that are, I think it's something like 30% of all food that's grown is wasted. So there are a bunch of companies working on this, but one thing that's come out of this is upcycled food certification. So you can Google upcycled foods and you'll see there are all kinds of products you can buy from pancake mixes, cookie mixes to plant-based milk. There are many, many things that are consumer ready products on your grocery store shelves. I hate to say a waste product, but that is what it is. It's something that wouldn't have gotten used. So if you imagine using those apple peels for something else, it's nutritious for someone. That's, that's the process.
0: Yeah. And maybe instead of a waste product, more maybe it's just the excess all of the apple we we didn't use the peel for this core thing that we were doing and and the peels i remember i have one of those little peeler core slicers Mm -hmm. at home when my children were little i used to roll the apple and it would take the peel off and also do the spirals now i put those in my food dehydrator and but the i leave the um peel on them because there's a lot of nutrition in the peels as
1: we've come to learn but when my kids were little they used to that was their favorite part is to get the spiral peel and they and i i did that as well and you cut them thin enough you can leave the skin on so there's some great chefs on youtube and on instagram and tiktok that will talk about zero waste i think max lamana is a really popular one there's quite a few others so even the younger generation can learn about it because they can learn about it in a way that's familiar to them i have two teenagers and they will only watch short form videos so it's a great way to get them to learn about how to change the world you know how to improve the environment so that when they go out into the world they can do anything any level to help make it better cycled foods is a great it's a great. There's also a company that works directly with restaurants. And this company is not very well known in the United States yet. It's called Too Good To Go. I think um, it was established overseas and they work with wasted food from restaurants. So if you have a bakery and at the end of the day, there's extra donuts, that type of you can actually buy it at a discount through their app. But so that's another way to prevent food waste from going to a place where.
0: There are several initiatives along those lines, Lonica. That's a great point to bring up that our listeners can search for some of those resources so that they might be able to take advantage of that. Well, and in the sustainability space, I think there's a lot that we can do in the kind of other initiatives. Upcycling is a great one. Uh, what other initiatives could you share with us? That you-
1: and along the lines of technology, traceability is a huge one. So I, I first learned about traceability, I think, when I was selling organic cotton. Certain companies at that time that were using GOTS certification to trace back to the farms, and they would tell the story of the farm. You know, If they were responsible for building an infrastructure or a school for the, the children in that area, that clothing company would tell their story, and they would have photographs, and it was very provable. But with the ad- advent of the internet and particularly with blockchain, we can trace it back in a more detailed way. You can actually see exactly where your apples came from, which orchard in which part of the world. And that's something that's barely being used. And I, I can't pull out the name of the company right now. I'm forgetting the name, but there are several companies working on this. That I think of that as sustainability. So that's one aspect, but just making food at home. I mean, having a garden, learning about that. There are some incredible nonprofits that are focused around teaching city children who don't grow up with any land in front of them how to garden. And then there are the same types of farm to table projects at home. Um, I, th- I think sustainability in those ways is super important. I think the traceability has also brought up, and what's important about that is we, we can't turn away and pretend it doesn't exist. You know, it's it's extremely important. These certifications are important. Occasionally things go wrong, um, not with any intention of the certifying body. So these pieces of technology that allow us to see traceability and transparency inside a supply chain are all important. And there are many companies working by behind the scenes to ensure that whether it's tracking, tracking documents, you know, for a certification or whether it's physically going to the farms and testing the actual chemicals that are being used or the lack of them verifying they're not being used. There's a lot of steps in that process for sustainability. If you're, if you're talking about in other areas, there's a great uh, movement online towards, you know, reducitarianism, which is basically just using less reducing what you and reusing what you can. And this is beyond what we had in the early days of just recycle, recycle. It's far beyond that. That's right. We have a lot going on and you may or may not
0: know, I don't know if our listeners know that this podcast is actually sponsored by a software company that has a blockchain product in the food space. It's called Farm to Plate. And it does exactly that with the traceability. We're trying to put transparency into that food chain process. And so you could check it out on our website. But you're right. That is a big thing right now. Uh, Technology can play a huge role in helping us to identify where our food's coming from and then verifying, you know, we've got that transparency into what's happening with our food and um, those certifications are certainly, really key as well. I think that's another great point to bring up. But technology does enable us to do a lot of things that we didn't do, circling back around to when you tried to do research for some of your organic products. Manufacturers create additional organic products. Again, you weren't benefiting from that other than selling some in your store, but you were using your gifts and kind of paying that forward. And I I see that theme throughout all of your professional life here. You just, you see a need and you go to fill it. And I think that is really, really great. But talking about the research that you did and now fast forward, because we do have the internet, we do have websites, we do have the ability to put information out there and search for what we're looking for. And that has had a huge impact. I'm sure you've seen
1: big transformation across. Yeah, I think so. And obviously for the area of makers, you know, small, small time makers, whether they're making clothing or reading cards or food, it's incredible the way that you can bring your product to market now. And I think it started out in small, small venues that were now that are now big, like the ones we're familiar with, like Etsy and et cetera. But there's a lot of others that have popped up that are using that direct uh, marketability of technology that are making everyone discoverable. And that is beautiful. I mean, one, one of my passions other than food and organics is actually just business. I mean, I, I was loving reading business magazines. I would read Fast Company when I was like, and read the stories of all these founders and you, you hear about the glamour and then you realize it's not glamorous at all. It's just a lot of work, right? So anything you can do to make it more efficient, and less painful for a founder is what I'm interested in. Did, um, didn't know about the full level of technology, what you're describing, but that's also a really good program. And I think for your listeners to just be able to know that they can do research for anything from sourcing items, ingredients, Um, that they can look for research on food safety issues which is another issue where basically transparency in the supply chain is really important and using technology to track food safety issues is super important there are a number of companies that use that Uh, i would say sustainability level of what you're buying there are a few options for that i think the best for me is to always go direct to the supplier so if you aren't sure about it you can just keep asking questions and keep going and if a company is really good, they will generally be helpful in that process. So if you're a founder trying to source ingredients, even textiles deep into that supply chain, you can go farther and farther back and know who's growing the cotton that's then going into your, your yarn that's then going into whatever you're making from it. Right. But that authenticity is really priceless. And I came from a generation where everything was sealed. You couldn't see into the supplies chain. And then at some point, I think it got broken wide open in the last ten years or so, um, it's become really an option that you can see back. So that's part of the reason you're getting all these makers, and you're getting such a huge influx of new companies, not just in the food space, but in any industry.
0: Well, you talked about scalability. You know, for those smaller makers and providers, one of the things that I've seen is is kind of the creation of food and other product like a consortium,
1: mm-hmm. where
0: one distribution hub might. Kind of like you did in your organic store initially, but now it's online and then the scalability goes multiple times faster because they can come together. Have you
1: seen things like that? happening? Yes. It, do you mean marketplaces as well? Like a marketplace? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are wholesale marketplaces like fair. There's several that are similar and I don't have a, you know, I don't have a personal interest or actually even know anyone, any of these companies, but I have entered into that space to check them out. And I think it's incredible. You can go on as a retailer now and I could order organic chocolate and i I don't know, flower pots. I mean, anything that doesn't go together all in one space, jewelry. And that, that is a great addition. It would have made my job so much easier. I mean, when I had a store and when I had the websites, I was ordering individually from every company and I had 300 in the beginning. So These marketplaces online are very valuable. I think that I've never seen anything bad about them yet. I haven't done a deep dive in the technology yet, but so far I've been thinking they're very exciting for people to source for their online stores as well. I think the biggest thing with online at this point is it's very difficult to sort out marketing. And that is always a challenge. So with young companies, when I advise them, I typically say, you know, you have to keep that budget under control and really educate yourself about what works for your customer because it's different. In every industry, it's different even with separate companies in the same industry. If you really know your customer and you know where they're sitting or where they're walking, that's where you advertise to them and not necessarily where you're being told to advertise.
0: Interesting insight into uh, really... Maybe the entrepreneurial journey, which I know you're also very passionate about, and you are one, as they say, I are one. Uh, you've you've done that several times. I mean, you've you've had several different. You said you came from an entrepreneurial family, and so you have that mindset, and you're looking through that lens as you look to discover things. And what? insights can you give to maybe some of our we I know we have a lot of listeners that are entrepreneurs in the food space
1: and they would love to
0: hear whatever insight you might have sure, that comes sure. out of your passion for them
1: yeah I love entrepreneurial activities of any kind and I I have spoken a few times for different colleges and high school classes it's really fun to talk to people the younger they are when they're really in that idea stage the first piece of advice I always tell people is when you have a great idea, You really have to research it after you have the aha moment, if you're lucky enough to have that. You've got to research and see who all your competition is. And that doesn't have to be a sad process. It can be kind of exciting. So if you're going to make some kind of new ice cream, just go out and buy every kind of ice cream there is. And go online and look at what people are saying about ice cream. Look at the stories behind why they eat ice cream. That's just an example. But I think the main thing is, is that you have to research, know your competition, so that you can differentiate. There's nothing else that's more important than that. And and I've seen a lot of big brands who have come to me and basically not done that part of the process and they're a copy of something else or a small brand. And and it doesn't ever work, really. Uh, Even if you throw a lot of money into the marketing, it's not gonna work. So it's much better to have, not necessarily the most unique idea, but to approach your unique idea with your unique personality and with some aspect that's, that's separately identified with just who you are. And it could be your story or it could be something you're doing because of a deep love or a cause. I always tell people don't start a company at all unless you're prepared to give back from day one. So have a give back. We all know the famous ones like Tom's Shoes and places where they start off with that as a mission. And there's a reason why they've, you know, been successful and had certain levels of fast followers. So I think you you can't just create a good product. You have to actually create a good product and have a social mission, absolutely, or environmental mission, or both if you can. Social mission, environmental mission, those are the things that in the end are necessary in order to make your company function. And one little tiny thing I noticed only in the last year, I started surveying a lot of the small companies that I was working with and new ones. And I would ask each person who does your branding, because sometimes I'd see some food item that just had such cool labels and just everything about it was just colorful, beautiful, really on point. And almost every time they would say, oh, it's my sister or it's my cousin or or, it's my best friend from high school, or it happens to be the lady standing over there or the guy behind me. I found that branding and marketing, if it was in-house and good, when I did the research, if you have good branding and marketing in-house, the level of success you'll achieve is not just double. It's like way, way, way measurably more. And that doesn't mean you can't hire out and get good branding or good marketing. In fact, most people will have to. But if you're lucky enough to have someone on your team or bring them on early who has that vision, you can you can literally make your company triply successful in the first few years because you're, you're going to save so money, much money having them in-house. So, and conversely... <laughs> Unfortunately, if you have someone on your team who is creating branding that isn't fitting the market, let's just say it that way, uh, it can kill your company faster than almost anything. And so when when I go in to consult with anyone, whether I'm giving them five minutes of free advice or whether they're paying me for an hour or whatever, the first thing I always ask is who's doing your branding? And I tell them what I think, where it places them in the market, if it's good, if I think it's gonna sell, with what demographic, If it looks very similar to someone else out there, I draw attention to that. But anyway, I can't say enough how important that is because you can just pay someone to do a great job and there are plenty of great firms out there, but it's a lot of money sunk into something. And so you have to be getting that on point and so if you don't have that on your team go find someone who can do it and pay pay for it also get samplers so that you can get an idea of what artistic direction they're going in so anyway brand branding and marketing is fascinating to me i am not a brander in that way but i know what will sell when i see it so it's easy for me to take it apart and look at something designers work if there's five examples and say this one will be the best for your market at this time but in three years it could be totally different
0: well wow. That's really insight. I haven't heard before. And I'm not, I'm not a brander and and the marketer either, Uh, but I interesting perspective about having that in house. And is that maybe because there's more buy-in from that branding person, like they're understanding your mission and your company more and really caring.
1: I have a lot of companies that do great branding. So I'm not trying to say you can't do it out. What I'm saying is, it, when, when I go to a booth at a trade show and I see something that is so on point, it's just incredible. Most of the time, if they're small, if they're like in their first two years, mm-hmm. if I if I see amazing branding and a great product, if I ask them who does the branding, typically they'll say, oh, it's this person. But what I'm saying is it saves them so much money mm-hmm. that it's allowing them to like jump the line. But that doesn't mean you should do your own because unfortunately I see an equal amount of companies that have a great product and their branding is like, just absolutely terrible. And I and I say terrible in that, not that it's not trendy or whatever, but it just isn't saying, telling the story of the product. Maybe the font is too small. Maybe the colors are the same as someone from a space that they don't want to identify with. There was a company that I was with in the past that um, had, they were using yellow and green. And I said, those are famously attributed to agriculture like John Deere logo. I said, they don't really go with what we're using. We need to move to a blue and white. And they did eventually. Um, in any case, I think there's certain subtleties that you can't pick up on if you don't know where to look. So that's where hiring someone can be super helpful. So I think in some, to some degree, you just got to look at what your success level is. I just think that when someone's springing for $5,000 or whatever for a booth at a trade show, don't do that until you've verified that your branding is ready. Because you're just going to disappear inside the the thousands of other companies. Right.
0: And also interesting comment you made, because in the first one or two years, normally entrepreneurs are on a really tight budget and you're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out the best place to spend your money, where that is going to help you the most to move your brand forward. And to your point, if you have an in-house option, then use it and spend your money in
1: other areas to help catapult your brand. If you have an in-house option, try it, but beware of bias. It is hard when it's your sister or your brother or your dad or whoever it is. Um, (laughs) My dad really likes branding. He's good at it too. But, um, But everybody has their opinion, so you do have to show it, no matter who's making it. If you're paying them thousands of dollars, or if they're on your team, you really have to take that logo or that new packaging draft and show it to a few hundred people if you can, but show it to your customers. So you can take a small sampling. I typically start with somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 people that I don't necessarily know. And I know that they'll tell me the truth, you know, because they don't have a personal interest in pleasing something that I am looking at. So yeah, it's pretty simple in that way. What's not simple is that founders tend to get attached to their own project. And so sometimes if the founder is doing the branding themselves, it's actually fine. Sometimes it's terrible. Branding is just a very specific skill. And like I said, I can't really go out and create branding. I'm not that person. But when I see it already created and there's different options, I can very quickly say which one will sell. So if you can find a person who can do that for you, most branding agencies should offer that service. Like you can show them something you've created, get an opinion. Don't just trust the one person. Go and take it to 25 more people your friends, family, whoever, post it online. There's some cool resources when you don't have a lot of money, something like Fiverr. There are places online where you can have contests for brands, be a little careful about the logo creation because you don't want to have any uh, issues later with who owns things. Uh, But I do think you can find amazing people doing great work on those sites. I've seen that happen quite a few times.
0: Yeah, that's great. And to your other point about the entrepreneur and the emotion of it, getting attached to the brand or whatever it might be. It's also where you have to look at what space you're in and how your consumers are reacting, right? As you start to grow and scale. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, and big companies know this. There are, you know, there's high tech companies who have billboards that are digital and they're measuring our eye reactions to it. So these are companies that are spending billions of dollars on it, but you can walk into a train station and you're seeing a digital ad And the ad is measuring your reaction, whether your eyeball is and whether you're forming a slight smile, whether your eyeballs are getting wider or whether you're looking away quickly and looking down. So already large companies are measuring the minutia of all of this. So if you can, on a simple level, say, hey, I'm starting this company. Here's the way my dog biscuits are packaged. What do you think? And show it to five or six people. Take a look at the sustainability. Are you using something that's biodegradable? Or are you using something that's that's um, plastic that's going to be in the ground for thousands of years? I mean, I at the National Restaurant Association, I saw I think twelve to eighteen companies that did compostable packaging, and I thought, why are we not seeing this everywhere?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And yes, it's more expensive, but you build it into your cost, and you can do it. You build it into your your story of your product we chose this packaging because it's compostable or because it's made from recycled materials you build that into your story and suddenly you have a value add you have another unique selling proposition so you don't just have my dog biscuits are organic and this you also have and they're here you don't have to strive for perfection in the in the beginning it's really hard you know you have to choose where your budget's going So absolutely, in the beginning, I say, strive for the ingredients, if it's a food product of any kind, strive for that first. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, go to the packaging. But the thing is, the social mission, the give back has to be there from the beginning. So you have to decide, where is it going to go? Are you going to give 1% to a charity that you care about? Then put it on the packaging. You can change it later to another charity if you want to and put that on the packaging. I think also with respect to sustainability, I actually have in our family, we have a machine that prints labels for packaging and it was very expensive. I'm not recommending it necessarily, but in the right context, it can be a money saver where if you're running lots of something that where you change ingredients often, you can print the stickers in a few seconds and put them on your bags, no matter what you're selling. You could even be selling clothing and put it on the hang tag. You can do packaging on site that's really affordable Mm -hmm. if you're running regular lots. If you're a small producer um, and you're running lots of food or whatever it is every couple months, then you might be better off just buying stickers or buying the packaging. So the packaging is the other place other than marketing. It's the other place where you can really waste a lot of money if you don't set it up properly. So it's good to get a little bit of help with that and i don't i'm not talking about the cost of certification but in the cost of ingredients and and i've seen that in real time with people these are small entrepreneurs that i typically were work was working with that experienced this where there's maybe five people in the company or two or one
0: Well, and to your point earlier, um, the more you can differentiate yourself and certifications is one way you can do that. If you go in the right order and get that first, you are going to be different than the guy down the street who has a similar idea. And that's just another point, giving your consumer another reason why they might buy your product over the other product that's available in the same space. So all that kind of goes together.
1: Exactly, exactly. Wow,
0: we have covered covered a full array of topics. I feel like you and I could talk all day, honestly, about different things. But uh, before we go today, is there anything you'd like to share, anything else you would like to share with our audience that we haven't already touched on?
1: Well, I think with respect to being an entrepreneur, I think it's super important to not fall for a lot of the internet schemes out there where they say, I'm gonna teach you how to be a millionaire in this amount of time, because it's just not real. And you can waste a whole lot of money and time and life energy. The other thing I wanna say is you don't have to have an aha moment necessarily to be an entrepreneur. You just have to look around you and see what's missing. And it might just be missing in your neighborhood or on your grocery store shelf. So starting something in your area is always enough to build a business, it is. It may not sell for $40 million in 10 years, but that's not everybody's goal. And it's certainly not a goal that even is palatable or feels good for a lot of people. I know so many companies that started as one person and they're still only five people 10 years later, and they're making a wonderful living, you know, giving incredible back to incredible amount of money back to whatever charity, and they are providing a service or a product that wasn't available in their area. So I think a lot could be said for regional entrepreneurship and this feeds into local food it feeds into makers these people are very important they are actually driving the economy and you know to become the one unicorn that gets all this funding it is overrated to be honest Um, when you actually know people who are experiencing that it is incredibly stressful and so i always ask people in the beginning what's your goal do you want to build a life for your family in the town that you live in or in a nearby town maybe three or four state range, or do you want to you know, put everything on hold and barely sleep and, and live a different lifestyle for five years with the possibility of something else happening? Because you never know if it's gonna happen. So that's a long answer, but the short answer is start where you are, look around, see what's missing and, and try something and make a difference and don't be afraid to fail. I mean, it sounds so silly, but everybody needs to keep remembering that you only learn from failure. You don't really learn from success, not really, because it was easy. And so you don't do anything different. Uh, Learning from failure is the best part. You gotta fail and fail fast. Forget who always says that, but just try it. If it doesn't work, throw it out, try something else. Keep trying, keep trying. And that is the heart of the entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, Just not giving up. (laughs) just not giving up. I love
0: love those words of wisdom. Just don't give up and, and failing fast. And I think there's a book called failing forward as well. It's a good one. Don't fail for
1: the same reason twice. actually have that back here. All my, all my business books are back here. I've actually read them all. Yeah. I'm always adding to that, but read a lot. I think founders should make time to read at least 15 minutes a day, every day, whatever business book inspires you. And develop that habit. Lonica, thank you so much for sharing
0: your wisdom with us here on the Future Foodcast today. We've really enjoyed having you. Thank you so
1: much. It was great to do it. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by farm to plate the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.